0: and I would just like to read these uh, five verses Uh, last week we were especially in the first few verses from verse 37 where it says that uh, he was invited to a Pharisee's house and uh, the Pharisee was surprised that uh, Jesus did not wash his hands which was a ritualistic thing not a hygiene thing before eating and then he he talks about that and uh, today we're going to proceed beginning at verse 43 woe to you Pharisees because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces woe to you because you are like unmarked graves which people walk over without knowing it one of the experts in the law answered him teacher when you say these things you insult us also Jesus replied and you experts in the law woe to you because you load people down with burdens that they can hardly carry and you yourself will not lift one finger to help them It seems that Jesus was forever in conflict with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And uh, it seems too that he reserved his sharpest words of condemnation for these people. And uh, you you might wonder, well, why am I talking about the Pharisees in this series of Surprised by grace? Well, it's because Jesus seemed to be especially judgmental towards those who were blockers of grace. Those whose teaching, practice, posture would stand in the way of common people and people with sinful pasts receiving grace sisters of grace, and so in this extended section in chapter 11, I've uh, isolated five of their summary characteristics of the Pharisees and uh, given them descriptive la- labels. Um, last week, shooting at the bullseye, uh, meaning that they were aiming at the wrong, uh, the wrong bullseye. Okay, aiming at the wrong bullseye. Concerned about you know, washing the outside of the cup but not taking care of the inside. And then secondly, missing the main. They were so concerned about trivia, really, small things like making sure that they tithe off even their vegetables, okay? And Jesus said to them, sure, good, you should be doing that but you're missing the bigger issue. Missing the main, not having a sense of proportion. And the main thing there had to do with justice and love for God. Essentially the great commandment, loving God with your whole being and your neighbor in the same way that you love yourself. And so uh, this morning we're going to talk about uh, the third one here, which is keeping up appearances. Concerned about what people think, and then uh, the fourth one being jumping through hoops. Keeping up appearances. Appearances. I wonder how many of you remember that uh, English comedy on TV. It's a number of years ago now. Remember that? Keeping up appearances. <laughs> Some of you are young. I'm glad we have young people here who don't even remember, right? But many of us do. Hyacinth <laughs> is a leading character. And she will do anything just to look good. And in doing so, she's trying to earn a place for her and her husband in the higher strata of society but she has these two sisters as well as a daddy who are an embarrassment to her and they have a habit of showing up at the most awkward time and I think, uh, I think many of us, uh, we sort of like that, you know, where her balloon is being puffed <laughs> where, where someone who's trying so hard to be at the top is, is being knocked down I don't know what that says about us, but we enjoy that keeping up appearances and we, we see that's exactly what our Lord is saying about these Pharisees. Verse 43, He says, Woe to you, because you love the most important seats and respectful greetings. New RSV has, For you love to have the seats of honor, okay, and to be greeted with respect. They want to be seen. They want to be recognized. They wanted to be treated preferentially. Parallel passage, Matthew 23, 5-7, Jesus says, Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. These phylacteries were little boxes containing scriptures that were worn, you know, as reminders in the tassels. And they were to remind them of God's commandments. And I don't think there's anything wrong with wearing them. Nothing wrong with having reminders of what you need to be reminded of. But the point here is they made them especially large so that they would be seen. So they would draw more attention. They wanted to be seen as doing this by people. Showing off. Keeping up appearances. Not about wearing attractive clothes so that you can look your best. Or you want to, if you're a student at school, you want to uh, avoid uh, wearing old-fashioned clothes or something because you want to fit in, right? Well, this wasn't about fitting in. They weren't content to just fit in. They wanted to be at the top, you see. Well, pride, that kind of pride is always hard to take. Projecting oneself as number one, whether it's in society or on the job, it's hard to take. But I suggest that it's even worse when it's about knowing God. Pride always smells, but when it's spiritual pride, it stinks. Especially onerous Matthew 6, Jesus warns against doing good deeds of piety just to be seen. And in verses 1, 2, and also verse 5, he has three different things that are matters of piety and that they are to be careful. We are to be careful. Writing to believers, I think, there they're uh, to pra- not to practice our righteousness just to be seen. Verse 1, not to practice your righteousness. Verse 2, giving to the needy. Verse 5, praying in all cases, not to do it so that you're seen. And he has a similar conclusion on all three of them. When you do that, and the others get it, that you're pretty important, you're pretty significant, he says, that's, that's the limit of your reward. <laughs> you're trying to look good. People see that you're good. Well, you have your reward. But there's no more to come. Hmm. In his book, What is So Amazing About Grace, Philip Yancey gives an example from his childhood. Quote, I have seen what happens when Christians ignore Jesus' commands. For instance, the church of my childhood conducted an annual funding drive for foreign missions. From the pulpit, the pastor would call out the names and amounts of each pledge that came in. Mr. Jones, five hundred dollars. And listen to this, the Sanderson family, two thousand dollars. Praise the Lord! And we all applauded, and the Sandersons beamed. As a child, I craved that kind of public recognition and acclaim. Once I hauled a large bag of pennies down front, and never did I feel more righteous than when the pastor stopped the proceedings, commended me, and prayed over my pennies. He says, I had my reward yeah. keeping up appearances wanting to look good in the service of God. But there was a gap between appearance and reality. Verse 44, he says, You Pharisees, you're you're like unmarked graves which people walk over without knowing it. You see, this whole context, Jesus himself is practicing Judaism, and in that context... Old Testament religion. A grave produced religious pollution. An unmarked grave was the kind of grave that is overgrown and hidden, and so a person therefore could walk on such a grave and become ritually unclean without knowing it. And Jesus says they're like that. Their outward appearance conceals what they are really like they would go to great lengths to avoid touching anything unclean so as not to become defiled. And yet, says Jesus, they are themselves a source of defilement. What you saw was not what you got. They wanted to look good, and they did. But there was such a gap between appearance and reality. In reference to Yancey's example that I quoted before, with all that hoopla when people gave their money, he reminds us that this is the same church that excluded black members. He says we would raise over $100,000 to send missionaries to people of other color, but not allow any inside our doors. What a gap in terms of what they seem to stand for, and the lack of consistency in it. The challenge for us is that when we serve, when we worship, when we sing, when we pray, when we give, we do it not to look good in the eyes of others, but to do it wanting to please the Lord. What's the positive alternative here? What's a practical way of responding to this or handling this? You could say, well, you know, check your motives. And that's good, and yet, How do you check your motives? Can you even know your motives? I'm not sure. I I don't claim to understand my motives. And I think for the most part, my motives are a bit mixed, right? Don't you think that's probably true? Let me give you something else that I think might, might be helpful. A, recognize always I am just one person doing my little thing in the larger scheme of things. And I can choose to be okay with that. I don't need to shine. And that's a posture that I can take, and I can remind myself of that. A couple days ago, I was reading in my journal from five years ago, March of 2013, and uh, I have a little trouble sometimes uh, understanding exactly what I, what, I, what I wrote down in my longhand. I, but I think this is what it was, something like this. <laughs> I'm telling myself here, remember who I am. That's for Lloyd. Remember who I am. Well, who am I? An ordinary guy with some skills and talents. Only I have the exact combination Both in music and in teaching, there are multitudes who are equal or better. So just be myself and do what I can to bless. I think that's a good approach. I'm not dumber. I'm not smarter. I'm just a guy with a combination of talents and gifts and training, expertise, and so I offer it. But I'm just one guy in the scheme of things. And that's who you are. There's nobody that's exactly like you in the whole universe. Nobody is wired like you. Nobody has your experiences. Nobody has exactly your combination of gifts and abilities. And so contribute that, gladly. But you don't need to compare yourself to anyone else. You don't need to shine, but but contribute. And the second one may be a little more practical. Marty was just reading a chapter in a book entitled Faith, Life, Leadership and it's about Canadian women who have been influential in the Christian community and in the Christian context and Christian influence and uh, this particular chapter was written by Carolyn Arends she's a singer, she's a songwriter, she's an author and uh, Carolyn was very, very shy about being on the platform, she found that hard She had many good experiences with different people that she toured with and so on. And I think this last person who gave gave her this observation was uh, Tom Jackson. She also toured with um, Rick Mullins and uh, is grateful for what she learned from that. But this was the point. Don't impress them, bless them. Don't impress them, but bless them. And then she says, any leader who recognizes that she has been placed where she is to bless people rather than impress them is wonderfully liberated. Self-consciousness is banished in such a paradigm. I think that's good. (laughs) Seek to be a blessing. And you don't need to impress. Keeping up appearances. The next one, number four, in these five different characteristics of the Pharisees, they were making people jump through the hoops. Oh, my goodness. All kinds of hoops that they expected people to jump through. Verse 45, one of the experts in the law answered him, Teacher, when you say these things... You insult us also, and Jesus replied, And you experts in the law, woe to you, because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourself will not lift one finger to help them. Lawyers or scribes, the Pharisees was usually, Pharisee was usually a layman without scribal education, whereas a scribe or an expert in the law was trained in rabbinic law and had official status. And many of the Pharisees were also lawyers, but most were not. Well, here it's more the leaders that he is addressing directly, but you'll find elsewhere that Pharisees are included in that same group in terms of making people jump through hoops. But these people were inclined to despise the ordinary people who could hardly understand, let alone successfully implement, the complex web of legal requirements. And through their numerous complicated and strict rules, these legal experts have placed the heavy burdens on the people and have been unwilling to lift one finger to help them. How different than Jesus. What a contrast, opposite to our Lord and here's an example of the kinds of burdens that they had imposed by the way they interpreted God's law. On the Sabbath, they taught, a man may not carry a burden in his right hand or in his left hand, in his bosom or on his shoulder, but he may carry it on the back of his hand or with his foot or with his mouth or with his elbow or his ear or in his hair or, or in his wallet. You know, it's so ridiculous. Ridiculous. But that's what starts to, you know, one thing leads to another. Multiply this by all the regulations of the law and ordinary people have burden beyond bearing even to know what they might do and not be able to do. Matthew 23:13. Woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourself do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. That's the kind of thing that happens whenever humans start adding extra requirements to what God has revealed. And the effects are tragic. A, people are screened out. Many people cannot jump through those hoops. Or perhaps people through the phoniness and the arbitrariness and conclude if this is what faith is all about it's not for me but it tends to screen people out one way of describing pharisaism is legalism man's rules added to the faith which people are expected to abide by if they're going to be really going to be right with God but all these extra rules are like I said they're extra hoops to jump through i want to refer you to acts chapter 15 paul and barnabas have been used greatly to win gentiles to the faith then there are certain jewish teachers and these are christians they come along and they say you know these gentile converts must be circumcised it's a requirement And this means, see, it wasn't just a matter of the little surgery, but it was a matter of taking the bundle of Judaism, becoming Christian Jews, so to speak, practicing Judaism. And so out of that, there's a historic council in Jerusalem to settle this matter once and for all. And Peter speaks to the issue and he says, Now then, why do you try to test God? By putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear. No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. And James seems to have the last word and he argues also for the freedom of all the non-essentials. No need to take on all the regulations, even the more general ones within Judaism. No need even to do the things Jews would normally do, even after accepting Christ. But these Gentiles would be saved and continue as Christians by God's grace and faith in Jesus Christ. No need to add something. Don't add to what God has already said in his word as a condition of living the faith don't make people jump through man-made hoops. Paul says similarly in Galatians chapter 5, he says, "It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened by the joke yoke of slavery. The letter to the Galatians has often been called the Magna Carta of Christian liberty. There were certain Judaizing teachers that had infiltrated, and they were teaching that Gentiles had to become Jews. And people have observed that what took place there, really, was what made the Christian faith a universal religion. Because if somehow Christians had to be, you know, enter into Judaism and become like converted Jews, it would have closed the door to the universal gospel. And for Paul, this was no incidental matter. Extra rules of any kind has a way of distracting from the very call to follow Christ. It tends to screen people out, but there is another outcome of this legalistic approach. When you add extra things to the gospel it has the effect of diverting attention from the central issue. Uh, when I give attention to whatever man-made rules is in vogue at the time, and usually these, this would be measurable expectations, I can give myself an A, and yet I can avoid looking at things that I should be looking at. See, it's a lot easier to note that I'm doing well in reading my Bible or attending church or avoiding the kind of entertainment that my particular church frowns on. Uh, That I'm taking time to pray every morning. And I should be doing all of those things, but we have to remember those things are not the end, but they are a means to an end, you see, so that I can better focus on the center which is to love God with all my heart and to love my neighbor as myself. But you see, when I'm taken up with whatever man-made rules that I have made for myself, or maybe if the church is very legalistic and adds all kinds of unnecessary rules, if we're taken up with that, well, frankly, that's a lot easier than facing my own pride or facing my jealousy or my residual anger, my tendency to manipulate others. Yes, and my tendency to judge other people, and to judge especially those who don't live up to those measurable expectations. Being sparse with rules isn't about turning people loose to do as they please and to live selfishly, but it is about freeing them from a legalism that has little to do with God's call, making them freer. To love God and the neighbor. Protecting the center. Giving first priority to the very center is really about listening to God's word rather than to man's word. Listen to our Lord's words in Mark. Mark chapter 7. And he says that Isaiah was right when he promised about you hypocrites, as it is written, these people honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me they worship me in vain and here's the part, their teachings are but rules taught by men you have let go of the commands of God and you are holding on to the traditions of men and you have you have said to them, uh, and he said to them, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to Observe your own traditions And then he gives a particular example uh, Where they're evading God's call Because of their tradition And then he says Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition That you have handed down And you do many things like that Wow But it's the inevitable result when you start to add to God's free grace. I like the way that one pastor, some of you are familiar with the name, John Ortberg, explains the conflict between Jesus and the religious experts of the day. In an article entitled Why Jesus' Disciples Wouldn't Wash Their Hands, Ortberg teaches that while the religious experts focused on clarifying boundaries, Jesus focused on the center. They were terribly focused upon circumcision, Sabbath-keeping, and dietary regulations. These became boundary markers. If someone didn't abide by the rules related to these, that put them on the wrong side of the boundaries. Jesus and his disciples didn't wash their hands. This put them outside the boundaries. Thus, suspect But Jesus was not focused on the boundaries, but on the center. You tithe all your garden vegetables. That don't impress me either. That's your boundary marker. But how about justice and the love of God? How about the great commandment? That is the central matter. That is what's really important. And Jesus evaluated people by where they were related to the heart matter to the center of God's law. Now I recognize that every group, we all have to have some man-made rules in order to be a group, to agree on certain things. Yesterday at the board meeting, we decided that unless there was a good reason to do otherwise, we were going to have our board meetings on Tuesday evenings, the uh, second Tuesday of the month. An example of, of course we need some rules, of course we need some man-made regulations in order to, to be a group. But we need to remember two or three things about that. First of all, they are intended to enhance our ability to love God and neighbor. And they are not an end in themselves. And then I think we also need to remember that we hold them loosely. Like I said, they're, they're means to the end. They're not the end itself. And to hold our uniqueness with humility and realizing that others other groups are not any better or not any worse than us, but they have a different way of looking at it. Hold our distinctives with a certain amount of satisfaction and peace and yet at the same time with humility because God has used others as well. Well, that's really the test. Are we concerned about the periphery or the center? And the expectations that we are agreed on, do they relate, do they support, do they enhance? Love for God and neighbor. I think a good question for us to ponder and perhaps even ask at different times is wonder what the average secular Canadian, what comes into this person's mind when someone is described as a Baptist to him or an, evangel- an Evangelical? is Do we have a negative or a positive image? Do they think first and most of all that, oh, these are the people that are against all these other things? Or do they think, oh yeah, these are the people who make good neighbors. These are the people who are quick to volunteer. These are the people who are especially generous who are quick to serve. And by the way, the polls indicated that that's true. That's who we are. But I hope that that's what we're being known for especially. Known for especially. As those who, in the words of Matthew 25, who fed the hungry, gave drink to the thirsty, welcomed the strangers, clothed the naked, looked after the sick, visited the prisoners and when you look at those qualities, every one of them relates to justice and the love of God loving God, loving neighbor let's do what we can to make that the image that comes into people's minds when they think the term Baptist Evangelical let's pray Father it's such a privilege such a privilege to be part of your family to follow Jesus Christ pray that we might together increasingly have a passion to reflect well what you have called us to and to focus in on these these things that really are positive and that we are equipped to participate in. And Father, we also recognize that in our hearts it's so easy for us to want to impress. And it is so easy for us to kind of miss what's most important. And, uh, and therefore to have expectations of others and to be judgmental of others because they don't quite measure up to our man-made standards. Father, give us a heart. Give us a good heart towards you. And keep on changing us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.